God's Word and read from it. And this morning we're reading from Isaiah chapter 49, Restoration of Israel. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favour I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion it, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them. He will guide them by springs of water. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, they shall come from afar. Behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and will have compassion on those on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So far this reading. Thanks, Jim. <coughs> Good morning, everybody. Oh, I'm nice and loud. Can you hear me all right? Good. <laughs> oh, I think everybody knows me here. It's my privilege to lead you this morning. And, and of course, I'm going to add my Happy Mother's Day to everybody else that said Happy Mother's Day at the front here. Happy Mother's Day. And um, certainly pray and hope that um, you'll feel special today. And I think that, either, did John say to someone said it, I hope this is not the only day that you feel special. Yeah, just a little more special today, but not the only day. Um, our mothers are, are um, an incredible blessing to us. We're, um, we're going to have a look at Isaiah here, and um, there is so much, so much happening in this, in this text that we could, um, we could play with it for a little while, but we're going to just zero in. On, um, on some portions of it and um, I just want to share with you um, some of the stuff that's on my heart this morning and share with you about being loved and not forgotten and um, as the message goes you'll, you'll figure out where that's going. You know it is Mother's Day today and we often reflect and think about how much mothers love their kids, how they'll do anything for them and we want to honour them for that. And I think that's a fair thing to do, and that's a very important thing to do. And as mothers, I guess, I'm not a mother, but as a mother, we often think of our kids, and whilst there's probably plenty of challenges, right, mothers? Some are beyond that now, of course. Some are just looking and saying, oh, I don't feel it anymore. We do really love our children, don't we? And we do really love being mums. They say that there is no love like a mother's love, don't they? Or... You've probably heard that not-so-gracious statement, oh, him, 
He's got a face only a mother could love. You've heard that one before, haven't you? It's a bit rude, but it says something about the way that we see a mother's love, don't we? We don't say father there. We don't say uncle or, or grandfather. We, we use mother there because there's this sense where we understand that that's the, the most important, you know. A father could probably love that, but oh boy, only a mother could love that, you know. So it actually communicates something about how we feel about mother's love, how we think that it eclipses pretty much any other love source. So we want to recognize and honor our mothers today because God himself uses mothers, a mother's love, as a metaphor to get close to his love. And and we saw that in our text today. It seems to be the human love that God uses to most closely describe his love, most closely. But we know deep down that motherhood isn't always perfect, don't we? And and that was reflected in John's prayer and and we recognize that. We We know that... Motherhood isn't a pretty tale for everyone. Mothers don't always love unconditionally. There's plenty of stories of that not happening. Motherhood doesn't come to all. We all know and probably personally know stories of that. Some of us have lived without a mother or an absent mother, a gone mother, forgotten by the one that we thought would never forget us. Mothers can let us down. And we all know stories of mothers that have abandoned their children at a young age or even later. And we know that eventually mothers leave and that's natural. We know that mothers will leave us in this world. We know that the mother's love isn't perfect, it's touched by sin. But today we're going to see that whilst we honour mothers and mother's love is great, God's love is even greater. And he wants us to know that we're loved and we're not forgotten. And that's really important. In our text today, we see God speaking to his people through Isaiah the prophet. And he's been talking about, he's talking about salvation, about rescue and love. And that's all sort of captured in love because I love my people. And um, if we read earlier in in the chapter, there's this whole, it's almost like a, and we don't have time for it. It's almost like a, a bit of a, a snap view of God talking about salvation that, 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 that has happened, that is happening right now, and, and even points to the future and, um, in, in chapter 49. But right, you know, the people, they've experienced bondage, plunder, ruin, and oppression. The temple's been destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are in ruin. They're flattened. But God wants them to know that he's going to restore them in their land. And in chapter 49, that before our text, like I said, he talks about his servant and he points to Jesus in there. And he points to that, what's going to happen in that future, that salvation. And he points to this incredible love that he has that's going to be expressed through his servant. That's another sermon, but a good one. A hint of the ultimate love. But in the section that we read, he talks about what he will do. And there's a lot of wonderful promises in there, isn't there? You know, they shall not hunger or thirst, and scorching wind, a sun won't strike them, and, and I'll make all my mountains a road. And, you know, and he, and he sort of, he gets, he's making all these wonderful promises how he's going to restore things for them and, and for all the nations. In verse 12, have a read of verse 12. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene, which was in the south. And so he's starting to open up the idea that it isn't just Jerusalem where where they are, 
But he's going to bring these peoples from all nations are going to come. He's speaking about restoration afar. So then he finishes with, so sing for joy, you know, get excited, have a party. Um, after all that, this is worth partying, this is worth really celebrating, this is worth singing about, this is worth getting excited about, right? But wait, and we read what Zion says in verse 14. Let's have a look what Zion said. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. Right after all these things that God has said. Zion. So who's Zion? Zion is the people. Zion was the word they used for the people of Israel. So the people said. These are the people that had seen everything. They said, but God, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. You might, you might say all that, God, but I don't feel it. I don't see it. In fact, I feel the opposite. You've forgotten us. Forsaken us even. Forsaken was a strong word. You've actually turned your back on us on purpose with spite to leave us behind. That's what I feel. I don't feel it. I don't see it. Now you could say that they had good reason, couldn't you? You uh, look around them. Jerusalem had been overrun by the enemy. The walls had been flattened. Temple destroyed. All the leading citizens had been deported. There was a bit of a brain drain. You know, Babylon had figured out this guy's pretty smart. We'll, we'll capture him and we'll take him. And all the, the, the leading citizens have been stolen or deported. What other explanation could there be that, but that God had turned his back on them? And in fact, that he didn't love them anymore. I mean, it was all good, wasn't it? We had the temple, we had strong walls, we had our culture, we had our city. We knew that God loved us. We were God's people, the Jews. We were God's own. We knew that he was leading us. In fact, you know, we know that he, we were led through the desert. We knew what he was doing. We thought we understood God. We thought we understood what he wanted. But now, it looks a bit different. So you might say it, but I don't feel it now, God. I can't see it now. Or, okay... Maybe these are promises for the future, but we need it now. I need it now. I want it now. I need assurance. Can it be like that for us sometimes? Can our lives be a little bit like that? Is that what it's like in our lives sometimes? Things are good. We were going okay. I got this. We had this. We were pretty confident in our relationship with God, where things were going. We knew what God was up to and we knew what he wanted and we knew how he saw us. We believed we knew how he saw us, at least we thought we did. But something happened. We might have got attacked or distracted or things kind of changed. We lost sight of God or the way we understood God. We lost sight of our walls and our defenses have been knocked down. Our security and our safety and our understanding has been rocked. Our knowledge has become shaky. Oh, we still know God and we, we still do what we can to get into his presence and, and read the word, but we're just not feeling it. We're not sure if he still sees us. We're not sure if he still cares for us. we asking, does he love me? Does he still have a plan for me? Has he forgotten me? Our relationship with God or our experience of God or lack of with him aren't affecting or shaping us. And Tim Keller said this, and I put the quote up there. It's possible for the human heart 
to be in the presence of what or who you believe in, but it not affect the way you feel or live. It doesn't shape us. And he goes on to say, it's not a case of I don't believe, but it just doesn't work or operate the way it did or it should anymore. So doubt creeps in. We feel forgotten. All those promises that we were used to sort of declaiming for ourselves and talking about that confidence, it's gone. It, it's quiet. They're, they are just echoes of, of um, something we once had. A bit like Zion, isn't it? The walls were down and God's making all these promises. They're in the Word, but I don't feel them. I don't experience them. But then we see God responding to Zion, to, to the people, don't we? We see, if we read in verse 15, we see God saying, Well, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Can a mother forget her nursing child? Well, we know she can't. We know physically... Um, and, and the picture here that, that God is creating in the original, the picture is, is a nursing mother. You know, a mother that's, that's just had a baby and, and that's just fresh with a baby. And we know that a nursing mother, it's really hard. Picture a nursing mother, it's hard for them. They can't forget. Even physically they can't forget. The milk comes on and, and the pressure's on and it's time to feed again. And they understand the cry. They can hear the cry. It's unmistakable. And if they, don't, if they choose to forget the child, it's going to start hurting, even physically, isn't it? But then he also has this picture of compassion, that a mother has this unconditional love. A mother that loves, remember that saying? Even that face. This, this picture of compassion, this picture of a mother. It's interesting that God uses mothers here as the analogy that most closely fits what he wants to communicate uh, to Zion, to his people. A mother's relationship with a child is like no other relationship. It's the one human relationship where one does all the giving and one does all the taking. I'll let you guess which one it is, mothers. It's the one relationship that we know, particularly in that nursing phase, particularly when they're young, when one does all the giving and one does all the taking. The mother gave life through hard labor. She can't forget the child, so she keeps on giving. Yet, and God says this, yet even these may forget. Yet even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Even a mother, the one that we would hold up as the model, we, we're celebrating them today, we, we, we're talking about how wonderful mothers are, but even them, they could forget. But God says, yet I will not. A mother can leave you naturally or not. There'll be a time when you no longer see your mother. But I will not. I will never leave you. You will always see me. Her love will never be complete, but my love is complete. You think I've forgotten you, Zion? You have no idea. You think you know how much a mother loves and, and can never forget you? Well, I am a mother in a way that no earthly mother can ever be. I gave you life. I made you. I will never forget you. That's what he's saying to them. That's what he's communicating to them there. In fact, let me tell you how much further my love goes. How much I love you and how you are and will never 
be forgotten. Let me illustrate. And that's what he does in the next verse, doesn't he? In verse 16. Read it. We got that one there. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I have forever marked you. Your walls are forever before me is the second part. In ancient times, sometimes a slave would, um, would be tattooed with the name of his master. And some, some did that. And so you, you had a slave and you were owned. And so then you, and, and, and you owned a slave and the slave would have the master's name tattooed on it. But it was never the other way. You never ever saw a master with a slave's name tattooed on him. It never went that way. Never the other way around. You know, pagan worshippers often tattoo the name of their god into their body, but it would be ludicrous for the gods to have their names, the worshippers. God says, I have engraved you into my palm. I was thinking sometimes you see parents like mothers have tattoos of their kids' names. There's a, see, there's a little bit of an analogy that works there. But wait, this is so much more than a tattoo. The word here is engraved, isn't it? And in Hebrew, if you look at the original Hebrew, the word is engraved with a chisel hammered into flesh. That's the word that God is using when he's speaking to Zion. He's pointing to something. Are we getting that? Engraved with a chisel hammered into flesh with a metal spike. We're hearing that indelibly marked forever. This whole picture that, that God is pointing to his people. You know, I am going to do more than tattoo you. I'm going to more than just commit you to memory. And I'm God, so I've got a pretty good memory. I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to pierce my body. I'm going to get your name chiseled into my body, into my flesh. They had no idea, did they? And your walls are ever before me, he says. You know, and you can imagine him saying, excuse me, but the walls were gone. They were ruined. They were flattened. You couldn't see them. Yet God says to Zion, but I do. I see your walls. I already see your restoration because it's what I'm doing. It's always before me. I'm always seeing what I'm doing. I always see you restored and in a good place. Walls were also a metaphor for life or existence that God is saying, I see you, I've not forgotten you, I see your life before me, I see you before me. You are always and your life is always in my presence. How encouraging is this for us when you think of that? Like I said, we can feel forgotten or lost or we can feel like we're not sure what's happening, not sure if God loves us or still does love us or we're not feeling it. We, we can't see and experience God the way that we are used to or would like to. Maybe we feel like we haven't done enough. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe we feel like we haven't done enough for God. Maybe we feel like we've done too much that was wrong, that was bad. We've sinned too greatly. And that's why we're not feeling him or seeing. That's why he's turned his back on us. Perhaps we were engaged in a really great inspirational way in ministry and understanding, but it changed. Maybe it was good, but it all faded. Does God love me? Is he with me? Is he still working in my life? Has he forgotten me? And the answer is no. 
The answer is absolutely no, and we see that in the word here. At Calvary, your name was engraved on his palms with a hammer and a spike. You aren't forsaken because he was forsaken. Do you remember when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your name was engraved on the palm of his hands and you're not forsaken because he was forsaken. So how much does he love you? When Thomas said, is that you, Jesus? Prove it. Prove that you haven't left us and prove that you haven't forgotten us. What did Jesus do? Anyone remember? This can be interactive if you like. It's exactly what he did, didn't he? I haven't forgotten you, see? I haven't left you, see? That's what he used. When we say, God, have you forgotten us? Do you love us? He shows us his palms and he says, I can't forget you. You're indelibly marked. My flesh has been marked with you. And this is how much I love you. Spurgeon says it like this. I found this quote. I love it. And have a look at this. Spurgeon says it like this. I have engraved you does not say your name. It's not like Andrew. It doesn't say your name. Our name is there, but that's not, that is not all. I've engraved you. See the fullness of this? I've engraved your person, your image, your case. Your circumstances, your sins, your temptations, your weaknesses, your wants, your works. I have engraved you, everything about you, all that concerns you. I have put you all together there. Will you ever say again that your God has forsaken you when he has engraved you on his own palms? I, Boom. I couldn't have said it any better than that when you understand that. And God says, your walls... He says it to us, your walls are ever before me. He sees your life. He sees your restoration, even if you don't see it yet. He sees it. And yes, our restoration is ultimately eternity, and we understand that and we know that. Full restoration is there by the work of the cross, but it's also true now and today. When God looks at us, he sees what is, but he also sees what can be. He sees his plan. He can see what once was and and what perhaps has gone before, but he also sees what yet can be. And in the words um, that are commonly used by one of my good friends, Johan, the best is yet to come. Isn't it? It's what he sees. God says, I've not forgotten you. I can't forget you. I see before me every day the person that you can be, even now. We are not forgotten. We are loved with an everlasting love. We're loved to the point that he's marked us into his... He's marked our whole life into, his, into the palm of his hands with a hammer and a spike. You can get tattoos removed nowadays, can't you? So that wouldn't work. We've been marked. That's how much he loved. Loved and not forgotten. Lean into him. Seek him and depend on him. You know, earlier on in Isaiah, and I, I just wanted us to have a look at this. This is a bit earlier in Isaiah where, um, where God says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength 
to the weary. Are you tired? He increases the power of the weak. Even youths. Oh, you're all spread today. I can't go like this so easily. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Because the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. What an amazing declaration made there about God's love. You know, I am not sure that I could think of a better context or a better segue to head into Lord's Supper. Can you? The Supper reminds us of the fact that He loves us and that we're not forgotten. We get reminded of that every time we, we celebrate together. Reminds us that we, we're marked, he's, he's marked Himself with us. We're engraved and chiseled on His body. And Jesus knew that this would totally change our future. But also if we got it, if we get it, it would change our lives right now too. It isn't just about the future. And that's why we celebrate Lord's Supper. Not because, oh right, yep, the future's going to be great. But it would change our now. The fact that we belong to Him it would change our now. That's why He instructed His disciples. And through His disciples, He instructed us to do this. Do this, he said, to remember and to importantly believe that it was for us. And so that we won't be like Zion and say, the Lord has forsaken me. He's he's forgotten me. He's, he's He's not even interested in me. This was the turning point of history for the world and for each one of us. And that's why we celebrate. I can't think of a better context. I can't think of a better scripture to lead us into that. So we're going to go into that, and you know, and just to, to remind us on the night that Jesus, after, after on the night Jesus was betrayed, after he he'd given thanks, he he took the bread when he was with the disciples, and he broke it. And he said, "This is my body, broken for you." You know, he didn't have a spike and a hammer in there, and they didn't know that yet. But he was saying, "My body is going to be broken physically, broken for you. This is my body." broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that your sins will be forgiven. Then he took the cup when it was time and he said, "And guys, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this to remember me, to remember what... And, and they had no idea to remember what... And he could have said, you're about to witness. And we've been talking about that. We talked about that leading up to Easter. You know, Do this in remembrance of me. And that would become significant after they watched what happened. Oh, there would have been this great, oh, exactly. And we are in a privileged position of being able to remember it, looking back at what Christ did, looking back at the fact that we're not forgotten, but we're loved, looking back at the fact that when Jesus was there, all of us, all of who we were, and are and, and would be, were marked in his hands. That's why we do this. That's why we share that together. That's why we share that as a family. As we, as we come forward, we wow, you too? Yeah, all of us. That's why we do that. Can I get the leaders to come forward? And we're going to celebrate that together right now.
And so come on down and um, receive the elements and pop back to your seat. And we're just going to celebrate that together once we're all sitting down again. Take, eat, remember and believe that the body of Christ, the body of Jesus was broken for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. And as you look at the cup and as you lift the cup, Hear these words, take, drink, remember and believe that the blood of Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. And as you're reflecting let me just ask you just to turn to the person next to you and just for one or two minutes, just to pray for each other and just thank God for each other. Thank God for what he's done for each one of us. Let's just do that. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that... Um, these guys in Israel, Zion, they didn't know it yet. They couldn't see it, even though your words were a promise pointing to it. And you gave, us, you gave them hints. They had no idea of the salvation that was to come. And we just want to thank you that we do, that we've seen you, Jesus, take your place on the cross for us and for our sin. We've seen you mark yourself with us and all that we are. And we praise you and thank you for that. Lord, we're privileged that that's our lot, that we belong to you, that you know us. We're privileged to know that even though we don't always feel it, that we're loved and not, never ever forgotten and not forsaken. How could you forget? And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that we're reminded. We thank you, Jesus, that we're reminded all the time when we celebrate together as a family, we're reminded of what you did, we remember. But most importantly, Lord, thank you that we can believe that it was for us. That we can believe that our walls are ever before you, that you see us, that you're building and rebuilding. And Lord, we thank you that that is because of your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mothers, we honour you today. Ladies, we honour you today. Clearly, God sees the way that you love as women and mothers, the capacity you have to love. Clearly, God sees that as a human love that could come close to his love. And so we do want to honour you today. We're blessed to have mothers, grandmothers, women, girls, and all of those in our lives and a part of our community that can love with that capacity. But maybe you feel like Zion today. Maybe you feel invisible or that God's invisible. Maybe you've lost sight of God 
or you're not feeling him. Maybe you're asking, does God love me? Does, is he still working in my life? Does, does he accept me? Or am I on track? Is there a track? Am I, you know, is, has God got his, my walls before him? Maybe you're asking that. Maybe you're feeling despondent. Things seem lost or ruined or defenseless, confused. If that's true, we want to pray for you today. And as normal, we're going to have the people in the front that can pray for you and that will pray for you. But I'm going to ask more. I'm going to ask our young adult leaders and anyone. I, I really want to offer you an opportunity to ask someone just to come up, even for two, to ask someone even for two minutes, just to pray for you. You know, every one of us, every one of us, and I'm speaking on my own behalf here, feel like Zion sometimes. <laughs> we live in a broken world and we forget that. That brokenness touches us. We live with human memories and human experiences of love that isn't always perfect like God's love. And that's what a community does. So I want to encourage you to ask someone to pray for you this morning. I want to have more than just our prayer people ready. If you're part of the prayer team or young adult leaders or our prayer, I want you just to be standing there. And I want you to look for them and go and pray and get someone to pray for you. I'm going to give you time to ponder that. We're not going to finish with a song, but I've got a clip that actually I could have played this and not had to preach today, that summarizes greatly what's happening here and how God feels about it. I want you to watch that clip, and then I want you to go and ask someone to pray for you before you go and get some coffee or before you bring your glasses back, which we want you to do as well. Before you do that, I want you to get someone to pray for you because we need it. I need it. You and I need it. We need to know that we're loved and not forgotten. Watch this clip, um, and then I'll ask during towards the end of the clip or so. I like, just want to get people that are willing to pray to to get and stand and make yourself obvious or jump up and down and say, "I'm a prayer, I'm a prayer," or whatever. Okay. Have a great Sunday. In verse 14, we see Israel saying skeptically, "But I don't feel loved." But Zion says, "The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me." He says. I feel forsaken. You've forsaken, forgotten me. I'm surrounded by needs now. I've got needs now. I'm surrounded by tragedy now. So how does God deal with this? How does God deal with this despondency, the sense of forsakenness? And in verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Mother's love for a child is not just physical and emotional, it's unconditional. How indestructible is a mother's love for her child? And now God says, I want you to compare that to me. God is saying, do you know what he's saying here? He says, you see mother love? It's nothing compared to my love for you. You see her physical love? You see her very being moves her towards you? Do you know that everything about my glory, everything about my faithfulness, everything about my very nature drives me powerfully towards you? I'm a God of love. I'm a God of faithfulness. You give me nothing. It's nothing but take, 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 take. You're completely selfish. You add no value to my life at all. And I absolutely love you unconditionally. But guess what? God's not done. Because ultimately, this is still talk. And if you only have words and not action, in the end, you don't believe the person loves you. Because in the end, what really convinces you that somebody loves you is not talk, but action. In verse 16, the metaphor changes and says, See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Now, at first... That looks like just another lovely metaphor about his devotion. And now here's the reason why. It was sometimes true in ancient times 
that the name of a master might be tattooed on the servant, but never, ever, ever, ever is the name of the servant tattooed on the master. That would mean a master who's devoted to the servant. And of course, oh, that's what we have here. Isn't that beautiful? Another metaphor of God's love. But no, it's not a beautiful metaphor. It's a horrible metaphor. You know why? It doesn't say tattoo. It says, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. And that word engraved is a very specific Hebrew word that means engrave with a hammer and a chisel or a spoon. Conjure up the image of someone out of love letting people take a hammer and drive a spike right into the palm of their hands. Isn't that horrible? Yes, it is horrible. Doesn't that make you cringe? Yes, it makes you cringe. Isn't that crazy? No, it's not crazy. Centuries later, there was a man named Thomas. Jesus Christ appears to him, and he says, Look at the palms of my hands. See my love for you. Look at what's on the palms of my hands. See, that's your final argument, because it's more than an argument. It's a deed. This is not just talk. This is action. You know why it's a final argument? What if you say, oh, I can't believe God loves me because look at all the awful stuff in me, the things that I have done. You know what Jesus says? You're afraid that God's going to forsake you? On the cross, I was forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I was forsaken. I got the forsakenness that you sense that you deserve so that now, no matter what you do, God will never forsake you. He loves you as unconditionally as a mother loves her nursing infant. Well, you say, well, what about all these other things out here? But don't you see, I've done the thing that you really need. My love is unconditional. It is indestructible. And I absolutely love you unconditionally forever and ever.